0: Well, praise God. It, it is good to praise the Lord. Just You can live without a bath, but it just feels so much better when you take one. You can live without worshiping, but you need to draw nigh unto Him and let Him draw nigh unto you. All right, take your Bibles. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Glad you're here tonight. We're going to have a great time tonight. I, I, just, I started to say I love this passage, but that's getting old, isn't it? I love it all. And this, this, I want you to take this brief passage tonight. I want you to memorize parts of it because you'll need this the rest of your life to bless. The, the proper way to say it is to bless the fire out of you. I want you to get the fire blessed out of you. That's what I want. And in this passage tonight, we're going to talk about the best is yet to come. I want you to find God's best for your life. I don't want you to just barely crawl into heaven. I want you to fly through the gate saying, what a ride we have had. I want God's best for you. And this is that place in the Bible where believers find God's very best for their lives. And uh, well, we're just going to dive into it. I'm going to quit carrying on and carry it on. And let me tell you something, dear ones. Without Jesus, even the best this world got to offer, it ain't much. That's right. That's right. You ever hear an old Roy Clark song called Yesterday When I Was Young? Okay, you got to be over 80 to have heard that. My crowd. A guy named Roy Clark, great guitar player, one of the greatest guitar players, wrote a song called Yesterday When I Was Young, Taste of Life Was Sweet Like Rain and pump. yada, yada. And it was just a song of bitter, bitter regret. How that he'd been so successful, got to the end of his life, looked back and said, I missed it. I missed it. He said, I played it life. I never asked what am I doing here. That's one of the, it's, it's a beautiful song with the greatest melodies ever written, but one of the saddest songs. I mean, the world's all time saddest song, I'm so lonesome I could cry. I know y'all didn't do that, but <clears throat> Hank Williams. But it's such a bitter song. And one of my heroes when I was a young boy, Mickey Mantle. Now, that tells you I'm old. Mickey Mantle. I watched Mickey Mantle play when I was a young boy. One of the all-time greats ever in baseball, great Yankee. And Mickey Mantle was a guy who had a he was a maybe been one of the greatest, the greatest switch hitter to ever lived, just a great baseball player. But Mickey Mantle really missed out in life. His personal life was a train wreck. He was an alcoholic. And his life was just filled with bitter. All four of his children became alcoholics. He just had a very bitter ending to his life. And he asked Roy Clark to sing that song at his funeral. And it's just a song of great regret that I had it all and I missed it all. Well, dear ones, you get, hey, guess how many lives you get? I got news for you. This ain't no dress rehearsal right here. This is it. And if you like me, we're past halftime. The intermission done been had. I I don't want you to get the end of your life like like Mickey Mantle and say, you know what? I had it and I missed it. I want you to get the end of your life and say, we got it all. Everything my King planned for me, we enjoyed it. I mean, God has been great to me and look what he's done. And that's this passage tonight that talks about how to lay hold of everything that he's laid hold of us for. Listen, with Jesus, there's always hope for tomorrow. That's not just something preachers say. This is real this is the great reality that I don't care what what has happened to you or where you've been or how bad you've missed it. Jesus can skyrocket you tomorrow. I mean, he can turn this thing around tomorrow. And this is that great passage that deals with that. Let's just read a few verses here. And then I want to look at Philippians chapter three, verse 12, begins in verse 12. Philippians 3, 12 says this, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, mature, But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, I love these words right here, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, Let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, this attitude. And if you're not thinking right, God will straighten you out. That's an abbreviation of the last part there. And if you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. This is that great passage where the Spirit of God just wrote this in the Word and He said, now listen, get this attitude in you so you can get the best He's got. Everything in there. Number one. I want you to look at the words in uh, verse 12. That for which Jesus laid hold of me. What do you hear right there? Let's read verse 12 again. I hadn't attained yet. I want to lay hold of that for which Jesus laid hold of me. Can you see in that passage right there in God's word that Jesus laid hold of you for something? It's not talking about heaven here. Can't be talking about heaven in this passage. This is talking about something he laid hold of you for uh, in this life. Now, with the word laid hold is used several times. We get our English word arrested from it. I've been laid hold of a few times when I was young. And uh, the scripture says, you can say it like this. I want to arrest. I want to get what Jesus grabbed me for. Jesus laid hold of me for something. He didn't just lay hold of me to say, eat cheeseburgers and burp, and do the best you can. I'll see you at the end. He didn't lay hold of me for that. Jesus laid hold of me for something. And he said, I want to get what it is that Jesus laid hold of me for in this passage. Right, Right. Let's deal with this. Do you believe that God has predestined plans for people? I many of you really believe that we have to settle this issue, did, did he just, I see a lot of theologians say, no, God created you through biology, put you in the earth and said, live, you know, do your thing. Here's a book, do your thing. And at the end, you'll either go to heaven or hell. I don't believe that. I believe, listen to what I believe before, before the days were written, you knew me, my days were written in your book. Let me give you, few, I, I believe that he has laid out a life for us. Every one of us. And if you could see it, you would crawl across broken glass to get it. I mean, he who created the sunset don't create junk lives. He's good at this stuff. And let me give you a few verses. Matter of fact, let's just turn and look at one. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. I believe this is the foundational verse that shows you that he has got things ordained along the way in your life. Now listen, he knew you before you were born. We're not going to take time to go back through that. Before you were born, He knew you. Listen to this, Psalm 139. Before I knit you in your mother's womb, I knew you. I can't, listen, you begin to grip, grapple with the mind of God, you can't handle it. But I know this, before time began, He knew me. And Ephesians 2.10 is that great foundational verse that says this. We are the handiwork of God created in Christ Jesus for good things, works, which God prepared beforehand that we should What? walk in them or live them out. So you can see in that verse that he created me and that he created me for things that he planned before I was born that I should do what? Let's live in them. Let's find everything you plan. Let's look at one more real quick. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter two. Uh, this, is, uh, this is the famous funeral verse and I don't know why it's used at funerals. How many of you know not everything about Jesus has to do with funerals? I mean, if that's the case, let's just get saved. Go straight to glory. let Scotty beam us up the day we get saved. There's got to be more to it than that. 1 Corinthians 2 is this great passage. Verse 9 says this. Right, Look at this. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. As it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man. You can't conceive it. The things, circle the word things, which God has planned for those who love Him. Can you see in there that God has planned or prepared some things for people that love Him? Now, a lot of people use this in reference to heaven. Well, certainly this will apply to heaven, but there was, this is not talking about heaven in this context because look at the next verse, but God has revealed these things to us through his spirit. The spirit searches all things, the deep things of God. Well, when you get to heaven, the spirit's not going to reveal anything to you. You're going to see clearly then. So these two verses coupled together, you have no idea what God has planned for you. But what does the next verse say? The spirit will show you what they are. The Spirit will reveal them to you. So that's, that's my little theological case for predestined plans. I believe we have predestined plans. Now, you ever heard this? God loves you and has a plan for your life. You've heard that all your life. The scripture supports that. But let me tell you something about those plans, not necessarily what they are. But let me tell you, let me give you some verses that talk about those plans. One of my favorites is Psalm 40, verse eight, that says this, I delight to do your will and your, your plans are the very desire of my heart. If I could find God's best plan for my life, I would crawl across broken glass to get it. Listen, this is one of the great things about our great God. He is so good. He don't plan. Gosh, I got to be careful about my language tonight. I'm doing better about my language. He don't plan bad lives. I know the plans I have for you plans for good. He plans good stuff. And the scripture teaches you and I, according to his word, Uh, John chapter 10, verse 10. I came that you might have life and drool and suck eggs and do the best you can till I get back. Is that what it says? I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And the the great promise of John chapter 4 says this. My food, that which delights my soul, is to do the will of my Father. If we ever found the plans of God for our lives, we would say, I'll pay anything to get them. They're that good. Matter of fact, one of the great... uh, if you could get in the folder on his desk with your name on it. How many of you think has a folder on his desk with your name on it? I'm not going to take time to build it. I'm telling you it's there. He, he looks at you, 8 billion people. He looks at you like you're the only one. And he sees you. He knows you. And he's planning things for you. And there are things in that folder. And if you could look in that folder, you would say, I'll give everything I've got to get what he wrote down right there. Let me show you that in scripture. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. This is, one of the great, uh, this is one of the great mystery parables of Jesus, just one verse that people mess up so bad. But I want you to look at one verse concerning God's plan for your life, the kingdom of God in your life. Matthew 13, I love this. Almost said it again. Matthew 13, uh, verse 44 says this. The kingdom of heaven, God working in your life is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for what? What's the word? Joy, the excitement over what he found. That man will go sell everything he's got to get what he found. Can that be talking about your salvation? Can't be, can it? You don't pay for your salvation. Who paid for that? This is not talking about getting saved. Jesus paid for your salvation. This is the man who finds kingdom plans for his life and finds those plans, and he is so, for, for joy, he's so excited about what God's plan, he says, I'll give up everything I've got to get that right there. It's that good. And he says the same thing a different way in the next verse. Let's look at it too, verse 45. The kingdom of heaven, God in your life, is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. How many of you seeking pearls? I couldn't care less about a pearl. I ain't wearing pearls. I'd rather have a sandwich from Chick-fil-A than I would pearls. But you understand he's not talking about literal pearls here. But you know, what we all are, we're not seeking pearls. You know what we all are looking for though? Something beautiful. Everybody's looking for a better life. Everybody's looking for a beautiful life, great, whatever you want to call it. But he said, it's like a merchant and he, his entire life is built around pearls and he's always looking for the best one. He's always seeking beautiful pearls. Watch verse 46. He found one pearl that was so valuable, he sold everything he had and bought that pearl. What can that parable mean? can't be your salvation. You didn't have to sell what you got by your salvation for by grace. You saved through faith It's the gift of God. Your salvation's a gift. It didn't cost you nothing. Well, what can this be talking about? When I find kingdom plans for my life and I find what my father has written for my life, it will be so beautiful to me. I'll give up everything else I've got to get what he wrote down. I'd do anything to get the plans he's got for me. So I just wanted to say that concerning that one verse. 12. Philippians 12, 4, 3, 12, where he said this, I want to grab, lay hold. I've got to get hold of what Jesus got hold of me for. Jesus didn't get hold of you to aggravate you and, and just let you coast through life. He got hold of you for something. He grabbed you for something. He said, I want to get what he laid hold of me for. Look back in Philippians chapter three with me. He said, I want to lay hold of this thing. That for which Jesus laid hold of me. All right, let's go back to Philippians chapter three. I want us to look at the rest of this here. The rest of this, year, All right, Philippians chapter three. Now, let me say something to you here. Before we do that, you can be saved and his, miss his best plans for your life. Getting saved and finding everything God's planned is not automatic. Matter of fact, let me just go a little further here. Most believers I know have not laid hold of his best plans yet. You know what tragic would be? to have the creator of this universe willing to say, look here, dear, right there it is. And me miss it and settle for something way less than his best. Wouldn't that be, that'd be bad, wouldn't it? All right, I'm not gonna take the time to show you. But uh, if you wanna study that a little bit further, first Corinthians chapter three says this, no other foundation can any man lay except that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Dear ones, you don't come to the Father through Jesus, you're not getting in. Somebody should write a song and say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody, listen, you've got to lay the foundation of Jesus. We all know we've got to come to the cross to meet Jesus. But let, then it says, this after you've come to Jesus, he says, but let every man's life, you will build on that life and you'll build out of gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. And at the end of your life, you're going to look back and if you built out of gold, silver, precious stones, you will say, what a ride. What a ride me and Jesus have had. God this was good and you'll receive a reward but if you come to Jesus and get saved and you build your life out of wood, hay and stubble at the end you will suffer listen to what it says, you will be saved but by fire as though by fire and you'll get into your life and say I missed it, I missed his best nobody in my church is going to miss God's best you're not allowed to be a member here if you don't want the best I don't care whether you like it or not you have got to get the best ones, can you see in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 3, that everybody comes to Jesus that is born again, be born again, come to Jesus. But after I come to Jesus, between meeting Jesus and seeing him face to face, what am I gonna do in that period right there? The gold, the silver, the great stuff, or the junk? We want the best stuff. And this is his great promise. Let, listen, let's go for the best. Let, let's go for God's best in this one life we got. What else you gonna do? Eat pizza and burp. What are you gonna do? Why don't we find out why we were put on this earth? Let me interject this right here. You're on this earth for one reason. Let me tell you why you're here. You were created. You're not an accident. You're not a biological product. God created you and put you here, and you're here for one reason. He wanted you here. That's right. You're alive because God wanted you to be alive. He, he didn't, why would he go to all the trouble of creating me and just say, I don't know why I made him? Gabriel, let's see what he does. He's better and bigger than that. You know, listen, you're alive because God wanted you to be alive. You say, well, my mom and daddy said I was an accident. You know, you were a surprise. (laughs) But you weren't a surprise to the one who knew you since before time began. And you exist because he wanted you here. Well, you don't love somebody that much and create them and then say, I got no purpose for you. Go do something. He created you with a purpose and it's good. And you're here because he wanted you here. And we want to find the best. I, I itch for this stuff. I long for it. All righty. In this passage, now listen to me. I, I can't, it's not going to fall on me like a ripe cherry. That's why this passage is here. Can you hear the spirit in this passage saying, there's something I got to do to get the best. After I'm saved, there's something I got to do. And he gives you four words in this passage that will bring us to the very best God's got. Let's look at the four words. Word number one. Four words revealed. Number one is the word believe. Let's read verse 12 again of chapter three. Not that I've already attained, I'm already perfected, but I press on. I want to lay hold of what Jesus laid hold of me for. Dear ones, I've got to to begin with, I've got to make a decision to believe I'm not just going to scoot through this earth. I'm not just going to try not to tear nothing up. I want the best God's got. I want want to see what he can do. I, I, it, it's in my heart to have everything Jesus died to give me. And I got to believe that I'm going to get God's best. I talked to him about this a lot. I want his best for me personally. I want to know Jesus like a dear friend. I want to hear his voice. I want everything he's got. I want his best for my family. The, I mean, I want the best for my family. I want the best for my church. I don't, so I don't want us looking like Jesus is dead. I, you've got to start believing the Lord has done great things for me and He's going to do more. You, you, there was all this. It's not about achieving, it's about believing. And I want you to start saying, you know what? Maybe there's more to this life than just showing up. I want to see what God Almighty can do in this earth in this time period. And I want to see it right here. And I want to see it in my house. And I want to see it in this earth. We, let me tell you what's happened to the church in America in the last few years, especially this past year, we've gone into survival mode. Just a few more weary years and I'll croak. I, I don't know who wrote that song. I hope they don't live on my side of heaven. Show me in this Bible where we're supposed to just barely get along. I thought greater is he that said, I thought I was more than a conqueror through him who died for me. I thought I hadn't seen or hadn't heard you hadn't even imagined the things he's prepared. That's not survival mode. That's thrival mode. I just made that up. Thrival mode. Number one, you got to believe. Number two, look in verse 13. Watch this. Verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but nine things I do. Is that what it says? Seven things I do? I do. Listen to me. One thing I do. You got to become a singular minded person. Listen to me, sweethearts. You can't do no Jesus on the side and have the best. Jesus is not an additive. (laughs) He's not a leftover. I see, do y'all read the obituaries? Okay, I do because I'm old. I like to read the obituaries and see if my friends are in there. Plus, I like to say I beat them. I I read the obituaries and uh, you know in the obituaries a lot of say, well, he was a member of the Rotary Club. He was a member of the Moose Lodge and he went to the Methodist Church. You know, it's sort of like you just throw God in there on the side. It don't work like this. He is the creator and sustainer of life. One thing I do I live for one purpose. I want to see what God can do in a life. I am not going to be religious either. Praise God, He delivered me from hell raising and cocaine and fighting and getting arrested. And then, even bigger than that, He delivered me from religion after a few years after I got out of that mess. I live to aggravate religious people, and I'm good at it. I mean, this is my calling in life. I don't want to be, I want to see what the creator of the universe could do in one life given to Him. I want to see what he can do in a family today. I want to see what God can do. But you notice that language there, you know, what it say. Uh, let's, let's read it again. He said this. He said in verse 13, I'm, I'm not there yet. I hadn't apprehended, but I am single-minded about this thing. You ever met anybody single-minded? I mean, they got one thing on their mind. They're driven to something that they're just focused on. That doesn't mean they don't go fishing and take vacations. And it doesn't mean they don't watch football games or or cooking shows or it doesn't mean they don't do anything. It just means that at the core of their being, they are driven for something. They're driven people. You know what's happening in America today? We're not a driven people anymore like we were early years. We become a hang around and goof off people. Dear ones, I want you to get the best God's got. I want you to give yourself to the very best he's got. You and your family. And the word is to be single minded. You you just live for his absolute best. One thing. All right. Now, here's the big word. Look with me in verse 13. All right. The first word, you got to believe it. Second, single minded. Number three. Look at me in verse 13. I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Here's the third word forgetting. Dear ones, if you're going to have a great life, you're going to have to become a great forgetter. You understand what I'm saying here? You have got to forget. I want you to look at this phrase right here. Forgetting those things which are behind. What's the rest of it? Reaching forward to, can you not see that there are some things out there? Tell me according to that little passage right there, just that piece of verse. What do I have to do to get what's in front of me? I have to do what? Somebody say it. I have to forget what's behind me. I don't let this sink down in your soul. How many people do I know Their futures are being ruined by their past. Listen, I will not let my past dictate my future. Can you not see in that passage right there? You got to let that stuff that's behind you. You got to let that go. So you can lay hold of what's ahead of you. All right, let me me help you with this word forgetting a little bit. We're struggling with this thing. Let me me throw this out here. Marinating this for a little bit. Satan will always use your past to steal your future. Satan will use your past to steal your future. How many people do I know? He has stolen the very joy out of life by something in their past. Do not let him have your future over your past. Fight for your future. And what does the Bible say to do with your past? What are you supposed to do with it? Forget it. Now you say, well, Brother Brown, I can't erase it from my mind. That's not what it means. Clara Barton, who, the lady who started modern nursing, uh, she was in an interview one time, she was an older woman, and somebody asked her about something somebody had done to her that was awful, awful to her. And they said, "Do you, do you, you know, that She looked funny. She said, "Do you not remember that?" She said, "I distinctly remember choosing to forget it." Then was you going have to make up your mind? I'm gonna forget the junk, so I can know the good stuff. Let me talk to you about forgetting. You got three pasts you need to forget. And you, you can never know the great things ahead till you forget three things about your past. According to this verse, number one, you got to forget your established past. Now all of us got an established, you know what that means? We've all got a pattern. We've, some people call it a pattern. I call it a rut. You know what a rut is? It's a grave with both ends knocked out of it. Now doing this, we've all got an established past. This is how I live. This is what I do. This is who I am. This is how I act. You've got to forget all that if you're going to have the best. Can I ask you a question, those of you who know the Bible? Every time God Almighty wanted to do something great for somebody in the Bible, did they not have to give up their established past? Even if it wasn't bad, they had to give it up. When he told Abraham, you're going to be the father of a nation, what do he have to do? He had to give up his lifestyle and heir of the Chaldees. When they went to the great fisherman, we talked about this past Sunday, Simon, and he had some great plans for Simon. When he said, follow me, what did Simon have to give up? He didn't have to give up anything evil. He just had to give up what he'd been doing for years. Dear ones, let's all say it together. We're going to say this word together. You, you, it's just us tonight. You can say it. We're going to say the word change together. Let's say it together. Change. Demons tremble when you say that word. So what are you talking about? Dear ones, to have the best, you got to change. You got to change. I don't care if it's bad or good. You still got to change. I want you to listen to the scripture about change. Jesus talked about change in Mark chapter two when he said this, no man puts new wine in, y'all talk back to me. tonight. I know you ate big. No man puts new wine into old wineskins. Old wineskins aren't bad, they're just old. You know why you can't put new wine in an old wineskin? Because old wineskins are hard and they're set in a specific shape. And if you're set in your ways, You can't have his new ways. Let me go on and finish that. But new wine must be put in a new wine skin. You have to be willing to say, I'll change to have the best. I'm on. Y'all got to come on. Listen to me. (laughs) You've got to forget your established past to have his best. What if the, what if the spirit of God moved on your heart or an opportunity, a door opened, and it would just change everything about your life. Do you have the guts to get out there and do it? Who knows what's out there? But if you and them people say, we shall not be moved. <laughs> you shall not be. The deadly words in every church I've ever been in, we ain't never done it like that before. I was in a church not long ago and I just walked in and I said to myself, 1965 ever shows up again, they ready for it here. There was, like, what is it about people that we love, we're creatures of habit and rut what does this book say about our great God? If you go on with me, you're going to have to flip-flop. Number one, you've got to forget your established past. Number two, and you know this one, you've got to forget your bad past. Everybody in this room has got some bad past. i got a lot of it. Who gives a rip? I got a, this is one of the great things about our Savior. I don't care how bad your past was. This is a new day. This is a day to start over. And you've got to forget your bad past. Let me mention several things. The shame of your past will ruin your future. You've got to shake that shame off. I was talking to Christy Dawson the other day. She was talking about, so I forget who I was ministering. And you ever heard this? Shame on you. Shame on you. You ever heard that? This lady was preaching. She was preaching on shame off you. Shame off of you. That's the word of God. And you got to, listen, you can't let your shame destroy your future. How about the pain of the past? Man, what is going on in my land right now that people are aching over things that happened in the past? I know pain's real, but listen to me. I'm fixing to get in trouble here. Listen to me, dear ones. It seems like all over the Christian church now it's like, if you're hurting, if you're hurting. Yeah, we're all hurting, Doc. I'll give you a few weeks to hurt, but find you a Savior and let's go. You're going to waller in it. i on, get killed for this. My inbox will be full in the morning. I, listen, I'm trying to help you here. Don't let the pain of the past write the check for the future. Find healing in Jesus. Get filled with the Holy Ghost. Buy you a box of Band-Aids. Do something but there there comes a time to say I can lay here and bleed or I can get up and go on God this is good preaching I wish I was out there listening to it this is good there comes a time to say this ain't going to tell me what to do no more and I'm not being insensitive I declare I ain't but dear ones we've become a professional bleeding society in the church pray about it find help get counseling get medication get Bud Light do something but we got to go doc there comes a time to say, yeah, that was bad, but I'm not going to let it right the future. And you've got to forget the pain of the... I, listen, I know I've had pain in the past. You've got to forget the disappointment of the past. Anybody ever been disappointed in anybody, anything, or yourself? File it and go on. You've got to forget your failures. Anybody ever failed at anything? I have. You know what a loser is? You've heard that term loser. We label people losers. Let me tell you what a loser is, according to the Bible. A loser is a is a winner who quit too soon. (laughs) A loser is a winner who gave up just too soon. You know what a winner is? A winner is not somebody who never screwed up. A winner is a loser who would not stay down. God, that's good. And you just gotta, you can't let the bad past dictate the future. You gotta say, so be it. All right, you want a word from God on this thing about bad past? Here's a word from God, Moses. Moses. Born destined to be a deliverer. Special birth. You can't argue his special birth. He was destined to be a deliverer. Trained to be a deliverer. Had favor with God in the kingdom and then ruined it. He ruined it because he couldn't control his temper. Committed murder. Became a fugitive for 40 years. Did that ruin his future? He didn't let his past ruin his future. He went back and finished. It delayed it. How me know a dream delayed ain't a dream denied. It delayed it, but he went back to God. Do you want another word from God? David, greatest man in the Old Testament. Did he screw up or what? But he didn't stay down. He didn't let his bad past keep him from the best. How about Simon? There's another word from God. You know what this book's full of? People who blew it big time and still got up and finished well. This this is not, and this is not a book about people. (laughs) This is a book about our great God. This is a book about God who says, if you just won't lay down, I'll get you there. He'll do that. You got to forget your bad past. All that stuff. Here's the third past you got to forget. I'm fixing to get in bigger trouble here. You got to forget your good past. We've all got some good in the past. Listen to me about good things going on in your life. Good ain't always best. You're going to trade the best for the good. So I got a pretty good life. That's all you want. How about the best? You know, it'd be tragic What would be more tragic than letting a bad past ruin your future would be letting a pretty good past dictate your future. And Rob, you're the best he's got. Don't let the good steal you from the bad. Jack Taylor, years ago, first conference I went to as a minister, I'm 20-some years old. Jack Taylor said, how many people are losing God's best because they're settling for something good? And I'll never forget it. Here's what he said. He just said this and I just, it was seared in my soul and I remember it forever when he said this. On the plains of success lie the bleached bones of thousands who upon achieving some measure of success sat down and died right there. How many people, they did okay, but they stopped short of what God could have done for them. Well, we don't want to let our good past dictate anything. You know, there's always something, you just, you look at the goodness of God and what he can do. You got to know if I was to really turn him loose in this house and right here, what could he do? you just got to know that. This is the great problem I've always struggled with in ministry. I struggle with it here with my leaders here. Is getting them to say, come on, boys. Do you really think this is the best Jesus could do? Thank God for where we're at, but we ain't going to die here. Jesus has got more planned. Let's go, Doc. Do not be one of them settled for people say, I want it all. Somebody should write a song. All right. I like that, I like that forgetting part. You got to forget the stuff. One more word. All right. There's the, there's the three words you got to believe. The scripture says that you got to believe what he says. And then after you believe you got to be single, single minded and then you got to forget some things. You got to let the past go. But well, what's the big word in this passage It's used three times in this passage? It's the word press. It's the word press. I want you to read with me. Look at me in verse 12. Verse 12 says this, not that I've already attained or already perfected but I loaf around does it say I loaf around or I press on? I press on. Something about pressing that he's got to do there. All right, look with me in verse 14. I press, press toward the goal for the what? Not heaven, the prize. I want the best. He uses the word press, and he uses another form of the word press also in verse 13 where he said, I do not count myself to be apprehended, but one thing I do forgetting those things that are behind and reaching, that's another form of the word press, reaching forward to the things that are ahead. Now, you know what this is? This is, a, this is a, he used this language several times. It was the Olympics, Olympic language. And these are runners. I ran a track when I was in school. Uh, I started saying how many years ago, it was really how many pounds ago. But I ran track years ago when I was in school and you'd get to the end, you know, you got tape tapes out there. We cross that tape you've, and it can be just a split second difference, half a second. And you got there at the end, you'd get right to the end, right for that tape. If it was neck and neck, you'd, you'd lean out further trying to be the first one of the tape. That's where the word press comes from. He said, man, I'm, str- I'm stretching it out here. I'm giving it everything I've got to get the best. And this is the picture of the, the Olympic game, you know, that he put in this thing. Dear ones, you don't get God's best by laying around eating honey buns. Why is the word press in there three times? Obviously, I got to do. I got to. I got to do something. This is that. This is not. This is not the slug. This is the bulldog. This is that bulldog mentality. And dear ones, we need to be people who press in. Let me talk to you about this word press. I love this word press. Uh, Let me tell you something. Wishing ain't pressing. If if wishing would do it, we'd all have everything. There's a big difference between wishing and pressing. Do you understand the difference here? Let me tell you the difference. Let me give you a quick picture of the... uh, Everybody wishes, but if I could just get people to press. If you would just press, God would meet you at the end of your press. Let me give you an example. Um, I play the guitar. I watch these people play the guitars that are just these... I mean, they are so good. I'm not that good. I mean, I can play it and I know the chords and I strum it. And, and as my wife says, your best audience is you. And I like to play by myself. And I just love to sing, play. And I'm, I, I could do it, uh, but I've never, i just wanted to play it so I have a big time. But there's a guy named Charlie Daniels who grew up south of Siler City down in a place called Goldston. And Charlie, uh, even among country musicians, everybody, he's one of the greatest instrumentalists that ever lived. Like Roy Clark, one of the great guitarists of the world. You know how he got that way? Wishing he'd be good, Charlie wished them fingers to fly. You know how he got that way. I read his biography. You know what he said. On Friday nights, when I was in high school, the other kids are going to football games. I'm at home practicing chords on my guitar. When everybody else was dating, I'm at home practicing chords on that guitar. Even when I became a professional musician, everybody else be out rocking and rolling. Of course, I think he rocked a little bit in early years. He said, everybody else out rocking and rolling. He said, I'm at home running chords on that violin. Well, actually, I think he played a fiddle. I'm running chords on that fiddle. And uh, you know why he became so good? He didn't just wish, he put out some effort. He pressed that thing. That's why he became so good at it. There's a lot of people wish, but there's just a few that press. Now, let me tell you something worth it. It's worth it to press in and say I want the best you've got. With this mentality that we've adopted in this nation that make it easy for me, it's killing us. We've got to get back to good things come to those who not wait those who press in. All right, Let me talk to you about pressing for just a minute. Press into this thing. I'm going to use one of the favorite words in our nation right now. This is a word everybody loves. They get excited when you say it. It's the D word. Discipline. Don't, pay, don't, people just, don't just hear people love it. Don't you see a lot of people like, you know, they go to these houses, they got these fancy plaques. A lot of folks just got discipline written on the wall. Not. Dear ones, you can get saved by faith in Jesus, but there's going to take some discipline to have everything. To have the great family, the great life. All right, let me show you a picture of this. Again, Olympic language. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want you to see what this man said about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Did y'all ever see the movie Rocky? Rocky won. Sure you did. All right. I'm, do you remember the first time Rocky tore out got that opportunity to fight? Remember the first time he tore out and tried to run up the steps of the courthouse thing there in Philadelphia? Y'all remember that? Made about four steps and had to have oxygen. <laughs> but you know what he did? Everybody else is snoozing after raising hell all night. He's, they're snoozing. He's out of bed at three, four o'clock in the morning, hits that alarm clock, drinks them eggs, and there he goes. You know what he did? That man pressed his way to something, put out a little more effort. Now I want you to read. This is in God's word. I love this passage. Y'all might as well just give up. I'm gonna keep saying it. First Corinthians chapter nine. Watch these words. Now, this is not only Paul writing. This is God speaking to me in you. Verse 24, first Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Did anybody know that? Did y'all know that? I know y'all don't know this because in this modern day, everybody gets a trophy for participation. We've become the everybody gets a trophy generation for participation and everybody got a participation trophy. I like that commercial where that fella takes that magic marker and writes through participation, writes first place on there. Now, what does the Bible say? Everybody runs, but not everybody gets the prize. What did we read in Philippians 3? I press toward the goal for the prize. I want the best. Everybody runs, but only one wins. Watch this. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. What did that say right there? Run to win. Don't just live to get by. Don't just live to maybe go to fish camp Friday night. Don't just live for vacation. Run to win. Live your life to have the best life possible. Get it all. Now, when I ran track, there was a, several of us wanted to win. And then there's other guys on the track. Blessed dear hearts, they, could, they just didn't have the ability. And they didn't run to win. Guess what they, do, what they were doing? They were running just to run. That's a big difference. Are you running to run or are you running to win? Do is let's get the best out of life there is. Everything. Don't settle for anything less. He said, run to win, run to win. Verse 25, everyone who competes in the prize is temperate in all things. They do it to get a perishable crown. He's talking about the Greek games here, but we for an imperishable crown. I run thus, not with uncertainty. I fight, not as somebody who's shadow boxing. Watch these words? Verse 27, I discipline my body. God, I love that word. If you got the old King James, somebody tell me what it says. I buffet my body. B-U-F-F-E-T. Baptist read that, I buffet my body. That is not what it means. You don't buffet yourself to win. You buffet yourself. What did he say? I discipline my body. Dear ones, listen, I, I love you. I'm your pastor. I love you. I want you to get to heaven, but I want you to get the best before you get there. And what is what's the spirit of this passage right here? I don't want to just get by. I want the best. I want the best marriage. Remember, you know, I've had to discipline myself to have a good marriage. Y'all know me. I had to discipline myself to have a good marriage. My wife, she was pretty perfect when she got there, but I've had to discipline myself. Dude, this comes down to everything in our lives. We, we just uh, say, well, brother Brian, I just the least, as long as I get into heaven, I'm happy. You look right here. When you get there, you're going to wish you'd done it different. And on the way, you're going to wish you'd do it different. I'm going to tell a story. I, as a dear friend of mine we went to college together. He was one of the most gifted speakers I ever met. He could hold an audience. Just He was so gifted and had such a great personality. was so smart. And we got out of college and he, he, you know, we met both ministerial students. Got out of college and he did so well. By the time he was in his 30s, he was president of the Bible College. Uh, the big Bible College. He was, It's where Charles Stanley first started teaching at. and He was president of that Bible College. He just had the God was just so, the blessing was so on him and he had such a great life going at 40 years old, he falls over dead. He died at 40 years old. Left a little 8 year old boy behind. One son, a little 8 year old boy behind. And now listen to me. At his funeral, the preacher told a lie. Preacher got up and said, we don't know why God took him at such a young age. God didn't take that fella. The days of our lives are 70 years if by strength. Are you going to tell a little 8 year old boy God killed your daddy? God didn't take that man. That man fell over with a heart attack because every vein he had was clogged with hot dogs. I'm not being unkind, but dear ones, that man, he got to heaven. He left a great memory. His name's on the library, that Bible college. That wasn't God's best for his life. Listen, say amen to me. That wasn't God's best for his life. Dear ones, we have got to say, I want the best in every area of life this is a subject unheard of in the Christian church in America. It's the word discipline is we got to bring some discipline back into the church. Now, I don't mean fussing at folks if they make mistakes. I mean oh I want to get the word of God inside of me so when I go to bed tonight I'm going to put on my head. Oh angel of God come let it seep down into my brain. That's not how you get inside of you. You got to turn off your Facebook and pick up his book to get it in you. It's not like you have to go to a concentration camp, but you do have to put out a little effort. Okay, I'm on the wrong subject tonight. I, maybe this is for another crowd here. We've we got to discipline ourselves to say, people are saying, a man came to me and he said, pray for me, pray for me. I got a spirit of unfaithfulness to my wife. I said, I ain't praying nothing for you. You don't have a spirit of unfaithfulness to your wife. You're just out of order and you need to discipline yourself and quit watching that junk. Talk to me. I ain't getting them amens tonight like I was hoping I would. Dear ones, there is a side where God Almighty will do his part, but there's a side where I have got to do my part. The Bible said we are co-laborers together. I know the Bible well. Guess how I learned it? It's just a gift. I just, I just eat honey buns and sleep. And he just pours it into me. Let's see if I, yep, right there it is. Why is a man that knows the Bible as well as I do still carrying cards around all day long and memorizing them? Guess how you get it in your heart? This ain't hard. We want everything to be spooky and weird and deep. I love what Brother Rutland said. He was talking to this fellow said, I'm believing God to bless me financially this year. He said, go get a job. I'm believing the Lord to help me get up and pray. Buy you an alarm clock, doc. This ain't hard, but you're going to press. There's times where we just need to press into things that he's lined up for this, all right? I want you to go back to the Philippians three. Let's wrap this thing up. Philippians chapter three. The Bible said, I want the best he's got. And that means that I got to get this word inside of me. Now, listen to me. I'm not talking about reading a book of lamentations and enduring it so you can say you did it. That's dumb. I'm talking about you got to find the best promises and get the good stuff in your heart. You got to do that. You got to do that. Listen to me. We got to bring prayer back to the American church. Believers got to get prayer back in their lives. One of the reasons that I've been so blessed is I have, put, I have learned how to pray and I press in in prayer and I make time to pray. And dear ones, oh, we got to get over this, Lord. We'd ask that you be with us. He's everywhere. Don't ever pray that again. Pray, pray, pray for your family as though their lives depended on it. Dear ones, it's not the mild-mannered prayer. It is the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man that moves heaven. Pray for yourself. Get in there and touch God in the prayer room. I don't have time. How many hours did you spend eating this past week? Dear ones, we're living in days of desperation and American Christians have sat down and have not pressed in. Now listen, I have time to go fishing. You can tell I got time to eat. I got time to do all kinds of stuff, but I have decided my family is not going to die because of the unprayed prayer. My kids are going to have their daddy praying for them until the day he croaks. My church is going to have prayer here. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. I'm going to do my part and the king is going to bless the fire out of me. This is the night for the fire. That's what it is. He's going to bless the fire out of me and you got to be willing to take some risks. Now, here's the, I'm going to read this again. Verse 14 said, I pressed toward the goal for the prize. Oh dear ones, I've seen some that got the prize. Don't you ever slow down. You just press toward the prize. I got tickled today. I was reading this. and I was thinking about my dear friend, J.O. Williams was a mentor of mine. And he always told me, he said, there's no such thing as retirement in the Bible. He said, not only that, he said, he said we would talk about how preachers slow down the day they started preaching. He said, don't you ever slow down. And he would say, I'm going to die with my boots on. And I think when he, which I think it'd be four years coming up in a few weeks, when he died, he died with his boots on and he was planning a trip to some far flung corner of the globe at 75 years old. If he'd lived to been 105, he'd have still been stomping through Nairobi, Kenya somewhere. He just never, he was never content. He always knew there had to be more. There ones we don't want to crawl into heaven's door. We want to slide in sideways, burned up, used up, wore out, skid marks on the side and say, let's do it again. That's how we want to finish like that. All right. I got to quit with this promise. Here's the great promise. Now in verses 12, 13, and 14, he's told you, Jesus laid hold of you for something. Now you lay hold of what he laid hold of you for. Press in there and get it. Let's do it. Forget the past. Let's go, guys. Let's get the best out there possible and let's dream big. And then He gives you this great promise in verse 15 from the Father. And it says this, verse 15. Therefore, let as many as are mature have this mind. What is the mark of maturity for a Christian, a believer? They get this mind that I'm going to have everything Jesus died to give me. That's the mindset of a mature believer. And what's this promise? And if you think otherwise, God will talk to you. He will reveal this to you. Alrighty. Your Heavenly Father wants you to get the best life and he's going to help you get it. How many of you, I don't know if you did this or not. I did it for my kids. I love my kids dearly. Sacrificed for them. I cared for them, but I wanted my kids to excel. And you know what it means if you want your kids to excel? They can't sit in the basement all day and play video games and eat cheeseburgers. Finally found something we can get amen on here. And I pushed my kids. I loved them. I I wasn't brutal. I wasn't hard. I didn't never discourage them, but I pressed them and they knew it. And finally they got to where they'd say, this is good for me. And man, because I wanted them to have the best life. Guess why? I ain't going to be here someday. And I want them to do well. Now, your Heavenly Father is determined you're going to make it. I got a friend named Jesse Crooks. Jesse was born with cerebral palsy. I saw him a couple weeks ago. Pushing 90 years old now, born with cerebral palsy. And uh, this is back, born in Louisiana. This is back when you, you didn't have the help for struggles like that that you do now. And Jesse said he got school age and he couldn't talk. You couldn't understand a word he said hardly, and said his mama sent him off to school with the other children, and the first day they laughed at him because he couldn't walk right. You know, he struggled to walk. He couldn't talk right. They laughed at him. He went home crying first day. Mm, Let me tell you what a great mama is. And his mama didn't coddle him and say, oh, that's terrible. She said, Jesse, you have to learn to laugh with him, or you're going to die in this house. You get back up there, boy. You say... They didn't have social services back then. Settle down," <laughs> she said. "Jesse, don't you let this ruin your life. Get out there and laugh with them, and you get back up there. And his mama made him go back up there to school. And you know what he learned? I'll just laugh with him. And he said, I became the class clown. And then I became. He was. He graduated. What they, back then they had them things. Superlatives. You know, it's not fair. So they don't do it now, because you get your, Everybody gets a trophy for graduating now. It's not like. <laughs> He was the most popular boy in his high school. He said, I even went, went out for the football team. He went out for football. Couldn't even walk, hardly. And so the coach said, with that kind of attitude, I'll find a place for you. They made, he said, they made me the water boy. <laughs> and he said, but you didn't have this fancy. Back then, they had an old wooden Coca-Cola crate with strap around it and uh, cups with water in them. And he said, it didn't matter. said, they'd call time out. By the time I got out there, it was over. But I'd already sloshed all the water out anyway, so it didn't matter. He couldn't speak hardly, and he, God put it in his heart to be a preacher. How are you going to be a preacher if you can't talk? I know some of you wish they couldn't, but how are you going to be a preacher if you can't talk? He took five speech classes, and finally a lady worked with him, and she would put peanut butter around his mouth out here, and say, "Lick it off." And he'd spent he'd hours trying to lick that peanut butter off and that strengthened his tongue where he could be heard. I mean, we have got to quit laying down saying, everybody feels sorry for me and bring it to me. We gotta, you got to press towards something. So he goes off to college, he graduates. He went to New Orleans Seminary, graduated, got a master's degree, met this girl. She was just starting when he was graduating. They fell in love. He said, I stuck around, got another master's degree just to be near her. He applied for a job with the Home Mission Board, SBC. They turned him down because of his d- disability. He got one anyway with him. And he opened a chapel on Bourbon Street in New Orleans in the French Quarter there. Take, just dealing with anybody, taking in strays. I think they adopted one of the kids that came through there that a prostitute left with him. And just had the greatest life. He was my associate pastor for a while. We had the best time. I saw him the other day. He was almost 90 years old. And that he is a man who pressed in there in spite of his failings, in spite of it. He just would not lay down. That's what you call pressing for the best. And he's had the best life because he disciplined himself. He said, I am not laying down. I saw him other day. He's in a wheelchair now because, you know, he just can't. He just and I would tell him, you go wear your equipment out if you don't go easy. He'd go garden when he shouldn't have been gardening. I saw him other day almost nine. And I said, Jesse. I said, I hadn't seen you in a while. I said, I may not see you till we get to heaven. I said, when we get to heaven, me and you are going to foot race together. He said, you'll lose. <laughs> we have got to bring that spirit back to this land and back to believers. And it's that attitude of, I don't want to settle for it. I want the best. I'm going to go for the, I want everything God's put out there for me to get. But dear ones, what if that man hadn't pressed? Where would he ended up? Somebody felt sorry for him and he'd have laid around his whole life. That man accomplished a great deal because he said, yeah, I got some problems. I got some limitations, but watch this. And he had an attitude to press on through like that. Now your father, I love, by the way, his mama was a hero. She would not let him settle short. She said, get up get back to school. I love them kind of mamas. I love them mamas that don't take the child's side, they're not even going to ask. You get a whipping at home, you're going to get one at school. Never mind. But listen, can you not hear in verse 15 that your father wants you to have the best? Right, let me tell you, now the Bible said in here, if you don't want that for yourself, he's going to help you get it. And now what it says, let me read it again. Verse 15, as many as are material, I want you to think like this. If you got mind to do something else, God's going to talk to you. He'll reveal this to you. Uh, Let me tell you how he talks to you about this. Number one, he'll talk to you through desires. Don't you have something inside here that wants more? How many of you know that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart? You say, now does that mean he'll plant desires in there? Or does that mean he'll give me what I desire? Answer is yes. According to chapter 2, verse 13, where he's working in you. What is it inside the human spirit that says, I am not going to surrender my family. I want my kids to do well. Guess who put that in there? God will talk to you about this. If you don't have this mind, he'll put it in your heart. Guess who put it in people's hearts to do better than this? You know, you just, everything's terrible. You you got sin in your life. You're pathetic, miserable. You're moaning and whining. Doesn't something inside of you say this, they've got to be something better than this. Guess who put that in there? He'll talk to you through your desires. Number one. Number two, he'll talk to you through dissatisfaction. Anybody believe that dissatisfaction is God talking to you? I can show you that in scripture numerous places. Paul said, I had no rest in my spirit, so I got up and went. Then was dissatisfaction is God talking to you. When you're in a situation in your life, or you know, things you're involved in, or a job or something. I'm not talking about a bad day. I'm talking about something inside of you that says, This ain't, there's got to be better than this. Dissatisfaction is the voice of God in your heart. Got to be something better than this. Number three, (laughs) I don't know if you believe this or not. God's in the disasters talking to you. I knew I wouldn't get one out of that. I mean, believe God will just dump your boat upside down to be good to you. You don't believe that? Let me tell you about a preacher friend of mine named Jonah. Jonah was a man that God was going to bless the fire out of, and Jonah and the father came to Jonah and said, "Arise and go to Nineveh." Jonah got in a boat and went to. Do you remember where? Tarshish which is the exact opposite direction of where God wanted him to go. And the Bible said Jonah ran from the Lord because he didn't know how it was going to work out. God was trying to, be, well, trying to be good to him. How would you like to lead the largest city on earth into great revival and see great things happen? God wanted to be good to the boy, but he ran from him. And the Bible said a storm came down on that ship. Anybody ever been through a storm? How do you know he wasn't in it? And they prayed and they whined and it wouldn't stop. Finally, Jonah said, I'm him, I'm it, I'm the one. I'm running from God. And the captain said, What's wrong with you? <laughs> he said, I'm running from God. And the captain said, What if it is? He said, Throw me in the water. Uh, Throw me in the water. They rowed harder. They prayed more. Finally, they said, Oh, Lord, don't hold us against our account. But they pitched him out of that boat to save it. <laughs> Throw him in the water. And God caused a great fish. Some people think it was a whale. The Bible just says it was a great fish. And that fish swallowed him up. You say, I don't believe that. You don't believe that. Listen, God can make Jonah swallow a whale if he's got to. Listen, nothing he can't do. That fish swallowed him up and, and you talk about dumb. Let me tell you what dumb is. He stayed in the belly of that fish three days before he got his heart right. Guess how long I'd have to be inside a fish before I changed my attitude. Three days with seaweed wrapped around his head and stomach acid eating his clothes off him. And said after three days I cried to the Lord said I will pay my vows to you. I'm going where you sending me. And what happened next? This is how you know God's name. What happened next? That fish swam all the way to where he's supposed to go start with, went up to the beach and went, blah. And God took that fish and squeezed his gut and he puked Jonah out on that beach. And Jonah's standing there. What do you think he looked like three days in that fish's gut? My goodness, he was nasty. All his clothes was white. (laughs) And he started marching and did, "How, how do you know that things being dumped upside down is not the goodness of God to get you where he can bless you? Listen, uh, disasters are Him speaking to us. And then let me throw one more in here. Open doors are God talking. When doors open in front of you, He might be talking to you. You always pay attention to what's going on around you. I love Revelation chapter 3 that says this. I am He who opens and nobody closes. I close and nobody opens. Listen to this part. I set before you an open door and nobody can close it. He's put open doors in front of me, scared me spitless. But you know what? If you'll just go through those doors, we got my friends here from Living Free tonight. The opportunity to go Living Free is God opening a door for men to get their lives straightened out. When a judge says you can go to Living Free or you can go to prison, that's God being good to you. And then men get to go there and they get to find out. So this is how people are supposed to live. They're supposed to respect each other and care for each other and love each other and share together. Mary's house is an open door for people. Opportunities. Listen, if you've ever heard the Bible preached, God's being good to you. He's giving you an open door and an opportunity to, to listen. He's always opening doors. He's doing things for his children because he wants to be good to them. And you and I need to lay hold of those open doors. We need to, we need to grab those opportunities. All right. Here's the deal. <clears throat> I don't know if I've changed your mind tonight or not, but I have preached myself happy. I want you to look at what the scripture says right here. The Bible says this. I laid hold of you for something. His eye is on you. He knew your name before you were born. He wrote things that you would give up. Everything you got to get. But you got to get off the past and forget it. And you got to be one of those people who say, I want it. I want the best he's got. I, t- I just, I pray constantly more. I want more of your goodness in my life. I want to hear your voice. I want to know your kindness. I want your spirit. Dear ones, listen. All right, let me quit. I got to, we're going, one more verse. We got time real quick. One more verse. Luke chapter 11. All right, Luke chapter 11. I want you to look at something here. In Luke chapter 11, the Bible says this. This is one of the great promises. We have got to get off this. A home, a home, the Lord is in it. We got to get off this passive attitude. Passivity will get you killed in this generation. I love the great verses. I'm fixing to show them. Let me quote another one. What do you think this verse means right here? The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent have to take it by force. Does that sound passive to you? You may not know what that means, but that sounds pretty, I got to get up and go after it. Listen, the kingdom of God has violence in it. It don't mean bad violence, but the violent have to take it by force. Get it? When I was with the sheriff's department years ago, we'd have an early morning raid. Y'all know what a raid is? You wanted to catch them about 5.30 in the morning before they woke up. You know That's when they're at their worst and you're at your best, 5.30 in the morning. So we'd plan a raid and the FBI'd meet and all that stuff. And we'd we right, we're gonna hit this right here. And I just think this is so much fun. And we'd go to this place. I remember we went to one place and we were, I forget what we was looking for. And uh, everybody lines up and the element of surprise is the big deal. And what you wanna do is you go up there and you tap on the door and say, oh, Mr. Mr. Criminal, Mr. Criminal, please come out. These are the cops out here. Please bring your drugs and come out here and show them to us, please. Is that how you do it? No, sir, you're not. if you're passive, you get hurt there, the violent take it by force. They have a battering ram, they slam that door open, holler sheriff on the way in, guns flying in. We went in one day and t- little, what do you call them, flat biscuits? Uh, Tacos, them taco shell things, they went flying up in the air. Milk went one direction, criminals went another direction, took them by force. Why does the Bible say the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent have to take it by force? We've got to get off this passive. There's got to be some pressing. I've got to make up my mind. I am going to memorize this verse and I'm going to live this thing and I am not going to quit till I get it. That is the violent taking it by force. I don't care what I see in them children. I'm going to pray till I see God do something. And I am not quitting. And Horny Head can get in my ear, but he is not going to stop me from praying for my family. I'm going to get God's best for my family. That is the violent taking it by force. I am going to wrestle with this sin. I'm going to go nose to nose with this sin. And by the grace of God, his spirit, I'm going to put it down and I'm going to live free. That is the violent taking it by force. And you've got to have a certain amount of that attitude to lay hold. What does press mean? You're going to have to lay hold of his best. All right, Luke chapter 11. Let's read this verse. Luke chapter 11. <clears throat> the Bible said this, verse 9. I say to you, ask, you'll be given to you. Seek, you'll find. Knock, it will be opened unto you. What do you hear there? Doings you have people ask me all the time, why is my life not working out? Why is this not going well? And I just want to say to them, dear ones, I've done all for you I can do. You're going to have to do some asking, seeking, and knocking. What does knocking mean? You got to start knocking on heaven's door like you will not be denied and you're going to have to start pressing in. Uh, let me give you an example and I'm done. I like this example right here. Uh, if I said his name, you'd probably know him. He's a national, uh, minister been used with the Lord a lot, but he was a pilot. He was a pilot as a young man and he wasn't even a Christian and he got saved and, uh, found Jesus and it changed his life. And he realized that, uh, I want everything God's got. I want to be blessed in my family. And I I didn't want to go in the ministry and whatnot. And he said, I realized that to be, to get this Christianity stuff working, for it to really work for me, I got to get this word in my heart. I got to get the Bible in my heart. And he said, so I set my alarm clock. And uh, he said, I, the next morning, I, th- I think I had to be at work winter, but he said, I do normally get up at six. I set my alarm clock to get up at five. He said, I'm going to get up at five and I'm going to start reading the Bible. I'm going to get this word down in my heart because I know what it'll do. He said, I got up the next morning, went off at five. I slipped out, didn't want to wake. I let my wife sleep. I went in the guest bedroom, took my Bible and laid across the guest bed there and opened my Bible. And she woke me up at seven and said, you need to go to work. Man. Well, maybe this Christianity stuff's not for me. I'm just not hogwash. He said, I'll do it again tomorrow. He did that three or four days in a row and she woke him up at seven, three or four days in a row. I think it was on day number five. He got up at five, went in there and he didn't go in the guest bedroom. He went in the bathroom. He said, I took my Bible. I jerked the shower curtain back. I stood up on the edge of the tub and balanced myself, opened that Bible, said fall asleep now, sucker, and see what happens. And he said, I spent the first three months of my believing life balanced on the edge of that bathtub saying, I'm going to learn this book. And he's been blessed beyond measure. Dear ones, you can go to heaven by praying. You get God's best by pressing for it and pressing and saying, I want everything he's got. righty, I'm done. <laughs> Hope you still love me. You're supposed to say yeah when I say something <laughs> like that. I want the best for you. When I was young, I had the awfulest daddy in the world because there was no laying around my house. There was not no goofing off. I ain't putting up with this mess. You're going to do right. And did you just say you don't have nothing to do? Oh, we'll cure that for you real fast. Now that I'm older, guess what? I love that man. I appreciate what I didn't like it at the time, but praise God, he put something in me. We call it backwards organization. He put something in me that has carried me through the years now. I praise God for his goodness and grace. I'm gonna pray for you. Lord Jesus, I love you and praise you and thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the promise that Jesus died to give us the greatest life possible. in everything, everything from our health to our relationships, to our families. Dear Jesus, why are people laying down when there is a God in heaven? Why are people throwing in the towel when the word of God is still alive? Why are people barely getting by when you have promised the most wonderful, abundant life? I pray in Jesus' name, your word take root tonight. I don't care who people is, where they've been, what they've done, what their past is. I pray they'll get a vision of the greatest life possible for them and their families and say, that's where I'm going right there. This man died to save my soul and he died to fix my life. He died for me to be free, full of peace, full of love, full of joy. He died for me to be a light. And he died for that. And now I'm going to press in until I get it. Dear Jesus, you've been putting it on my heart that in this land, we have got to get back to pressing in to the best life possible. I pray in Jesus' name, cause people's hearts to dream again. I just love to sit around with you and just dream of what could be. Think about what could be. I know what the odds are against us. I know what the past is. But who are you? The great God of heaven who always, when people cried out to you in your word, you worked miracles when they pressed into you. I pray in Jesus' name, deliver us from the passivity and the always been this way. Plant a dream in people's hearts for them and their families and their futures and say, I want the best he's got forever. I trust you for that. Thank you for hearing my prayer tonight. Thank you that you hear and answer prayer. I just, oh, I don't want to stand before you and see what I left on the table. In this life, I don't want anybody listening to me to get there to the end of their lives and have them sing sad songs at their funeral about what could have been. I want everybody to get everything you died to give them. In Jesus' name, I pray for our people that will press in and lay hold of what Jesus died to give and knock on heaven's door and discipline ourselves unto faith and life and hope and say, I don't want to live like this. I want the best there is, me and my family. I trust you for that. Thank you for hearing my prayer. I'm going to say it again. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for being so wonderful by your word. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. File out slowly without neck hugging.